Well, what a privilege and blessing it is to come together this morning and to worship together to honor and please our Heavenly Father. And I think the whole concept of God being our Father is such a beautiful one, a comforting one. I hope this morning that you want to please your Father, that you want to honor Him. I don't know what it was like for you growing up, whether you had a good earthly father or a difficult earthly father, but I will share with you this morning, you have a perfect heavenly father. You do, and he loves you with an everlasting love. And I pray that as you think and as you worship this morning, you will so desire to want to honor him and please him by the way you worship this morning. If you have a Bible with you, I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. A familiar passage and one that we're going to be in for three weeks. We're going to look at it today. We're going to look at it on July 2nd and also on July 9th. We continue in our series on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. What does it mean to be a disciple? What does a disciple look like? What does a disciple act like? We started off in January by looking at what it means to be yoked together with Jesus. Coming to that very foundational thought. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Be yoked together with me, or take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. To be yoked together with Jesus means to know him as Lord and Savior. It means there has been a point in your life where you submitted to him for salvation, that you placed all of your faith and trust in his finished and accomplished work in his death and in his resurrection and you are trusting Christ alone for your salvation. And then, that was in the month of January, in the month of February, we looked at those seven amazing words, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The whole thought that the creator and sustainer of the universe lives inside of you. And if we are to really be a disciple, it means understanding what those words mean. To have Christ living in us, and moving through us. If you remember, I shared with you that David Platt said at one time that those seven words, Christ in you, the hope of glory, if you really understand them, if you learn what they mean, they can radically change the life of any Christian. Radically change your life. Then we looked later on after our missions conference, we looked at the mission of a disciple. The mission of a disciple is to have compassion for the multitudes because they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The multitudes of the world without Christ, it is have to have compassion for them. It is to have a heart, a heart for the Lord because Jesus said the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore pray Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. And now we're looking at what it means to abide in Christ. To abide in Christ. Two weeks ago we introduced this subject. I shared with you during our communion time, John 15, 5, where Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And then last week we took a little bit of a detour. It was Father's Day and we looked at what it means for a father to be a disciple of Jesus. And now for the next three weeks we're going to come back to this important critical term Abide in Christ. I recommended to you the book Abide in Christ, the classic written uh, more than a century ago by Andrew Murray. It's simply entitled Abide in Christ, still widely in print. Uh, one of the books that I am using in this series in addition to Scripture. Well, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, our first point this morning is changed into the image of Christ. I want you to think of something with me this morning. And that is this. We bring the greatest glory to God, both here and around the world, when we are constantly maturing into the image of Christ. We bring the greatest glory to God when we are constantly maturing into the image of Christ. So, the greatest thing you can do for your spouse is to mature into the image of Christ. The greatest thing you can do for your children is to mature into the image of Christ. The greatest thing that you can do for this church, it is, is to be constantly maturing into the image of Christ. The greatest thing you can do for this community, the greatest thing you can do for the unreached peoples all across the world is to be constantly maturing into the image of Christ because if you are, you will have the mind of Christ. You will have the heart of Christ. You will want to participate in the mission of Christ. You will see it so clearly. And so the doing comes from the being. We want to be mature, to abide in Christ, that his mind, his heart, his mission is consuming us. And so the question is, how are we changed into his image how do we mature into his image if you remember back in february when we were looking at those seven words christ in you the hope of glory i shared with you at that time that the apostle paul in colossians chapter 1 after verse 27 where those seven words are found in verse 28 says here is my goal it is to proclaim christ teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's what he says. Here's the goal. We want to present all of you before the throne of God someday mature in Christ. So how do we mature in Christ? And I gave you this definition. We mature in Christ, or to mature in Christ means to be so in love with Christ and to be so consumed with Christ that his resurrection life in you transforms who you are and how you live. 
And I want you to know this morning, as we look at the concept of abiding in Christ, to mature in Christ and to abide in Christ means the very same thing. And so I want to just change those two words and give you that same definition again this morning. To abide in Christ, to abide in Christ means to be so in love with Christ and to be so consumed with Christ that his resurrection life in you transforms who you are and how you live. So many misconceptions and misunderstandings about what it means to be a mature Christian. We think being a mature Christian means we're, we do this set of things or we keep this list of do's and don'ts. How many times do we come to church? How many uh, times do we read our Bible? How many, how many verses have we memorized? How, how often do we pray? How, how often do we go to a Bible study? And all of those things are wonderful things and good things, but those are the byproduct of abiding in Christ. They are not what it means to be mature in Christ. Mature, to be mature in Christ means to be so in love with him, so consumed with him, that you have such a love relationship with him that he transforms who you are, your character, the way you speak, the way you think, the way that you live. I wanna, here's another quote that I shared from David Platt back in February and wanna share it with you again. He says, I'm convinced that it is possible to do all the good things that a Christian does and yet still miss out on what it means for Christ to transform the core of who we are. That quote ought to scare all of us. It ought to frighten us. He says, I'm convinced that it's possible to do all the good things that a Christian does and yet still miss out, still miss out on what it means for Christ to transform the core of who we are. Now, very specifically this morning, here's what I want you to take away from this sermon, from this service. To abide in Christ means that your worship is directed to Christ alone. To abide in Christ means that your worship is directed to Christ alone. I know you've heard this many times, but biblical worship is not about you. We don't come to church saying, what am I going to get out of this? How did it benefit me? No, it's the giving of yourself. It is the giving of yourself in worship of the one who saved you, who guides you, who loves you, more than you could ever understand each and every second of each and every minute of each and every day. So the Apostle Paul is appealing to the Christians in Rome to give their lives for the worship of Christ. That's what he wants. He wants their worship to be Christ-exalting and Christ-focused. And he says in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, Romans 12:1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And if you've ever studied Romans chapters 12 through 16, especially Romans chapter 12, or you've heard sermons out of Romans chapter 12, you have probably heard this before, but I want to go over it with you again. When he says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, he is basing everything he is about to say on what he has just written in chapters 1 through 11. 
Romans chapters 1 through 11 are about the unbelievable, unmerited, undeserved mercies of God in the lives of sinful men and women who come to know Christ as Savior. In chapter 1 of Romans, it tells us about our depravity and our sinfulness. And then Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not. For it is the power of the gospel that brings change into our lives. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. In chapter 3, he says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There are none who understand. There are none who seek God. And then we come to that seminal verse in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in chapters 6 through 8 of the book of Romans, he says, consider yourselves, count yourselves, think about yourselves as dead to sin and alive to Christ. You are no longer slaves to sin. You are no longer slaves to unrighteousness, but you are slaves to righteousness and slaves to Christ. And then in chapters 9 through 11, we learn that God is not through with Israel. God has not discarded Israel, but is again going to show them mercy. And so chapters 1 through 11 are all about the mercy of God. And so he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. I want you to give your lives to God in response to his undeserved, unmerited, amazing mercy in your life. I want you to present your bodies, your lives, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now notice this. Then he says, which is your spiritual worship? In some translations it has, which is your spiritual act of worship. Worship is our response of our lives to the mercy of God. We are so grateful and so thankful, so overwhelmed by the mercy of God in our lives that we just want to worship Christ. We give our lives to the worship of Jesus. So to bring this together in this whole series, when you are yoked together with Christ, when Christ lives in you, he should become the obsessive focus of your worship. And he should. Again, I say to you, to abide in Christ means that your worship is directed to Christ alone. A song that we have sung here many times and will continue to do so over the years is that song, that great modern hymn, In Christ Alone, written back in 2001 now by uh, Keith Getty and Stuart Townen. And that song, that modern hymn, many believe historically will be known as one of the greatest hymns, one of the greatest songs of this particular era of church history. If you remember a couple of years ago, we showed a short video clip from CBS News, from CBS This Morning when they interviewed Keith and Kristen Getty. And CBS News said the impact of In Christ Alone 
is being compared to the impact of the hymn Amazing Grace well over a century ago. That's how important this song has become. And so I think to myself, of all the great songs, of all the good songs that have been written in this era, why has this one song happened to stand out? And I think one of the reasons is, is because it's such a great congregational hymn, very singable by congregations, but it is far more than that. It has excellent biblical theology because it reminds us of this very concept of worshiping Christ alone. I pieced together just different parts of the song, kind of put them together. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. And I say to you this morning, brothers and sisters, worship Christ alone. Brothers and sisters, worship Christ alone. If you are truly a disciple of Jesus, there should be or should have been a radical change in your allegiance So many verses I could quote. We simply don't have time this morning, but I think of like one passage. Hebrews chapter 12, the first part of Hebrews 12. Run the race marked out for you. What? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's it. That's it. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. You know what's happened in your life if you know Christ is your Savior this morning, if you've come to a point where you've invited Christ into your life as Savior and Lord, you have gone from worshiping yourself to worshiping Christ. You have. Do you know everybody worships something? You've probably heard that before. Do you know everybody worships something? Did you know that atheists, agnostics, the secularist, everybody worships something? We may worship our minds, our intellects, our ability that we think we have to reason. We may worship our material possessions. We may worship our job. We may worship our children. There are so many things on this earth, man-made things that we could worship. But when you come to know Christ as Savior, there is supposed to be this radical change of allegiance from you, from worshiping you, which is what we really do, to worshiping Christ. And that's our second point this morning, from self to Christ. When we read Romans 12, 1 and 2, it is easy to misunderstand and misapply the first part of verse 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed 
by the renewal of your mind. Well, you notice that, by the renewal of your mind. He says, do not be conformed to this world. One famous paraphrase has, do not let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. However, when it says, do not be conformed to this world, it isn't saying, oh, here's all the bad things the world does, and so I'm going to start doing good things over here. That's not really what it's talking about. This does not primarily refer to changing our behavior. It refers primarily to changing our minds, to changing our mental focus, to changing our hearts. Do not be conformed to this world's way of thinking, to this world's philosophy, to this world's worldview. It very specifically here is talking about the mind. You see, and this is what I mentioned earlier, you can avoid certain behaviors and never experience transformation in Christ. You can. Being a Christian does not mean, oh, I used to do these immoral things, now I do these moral things. I used to have this list of do's and don'ts, but now I have this list of do's and don'ts. That's not what it's talking about at all. That's not what it means to abide in Christ. That's not what it means to be transformed, to mature into the image of Christ. It means that we have this enthrallment, this obsession, this consuming of our lives with Jesus. You see.